Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James, and joining me on today's episode are Anne Marie and Rory from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Today, we're talking about Movie Pass launching its big summer sequel, Binance buying Forbes, and earnings results from Affirm, Uber, Zillow, and Shopify. So guys, welcome, welcome to this week's Stock Club. We had the Super Bowl there at last weekend. Anne-Marie, a resident American, who are you rooting for? Ooh, neither teams. I was <laughs> not, I'm not a big fan of either. However, I did feel good for Matthew Stafford that he got to win a Super Bowl because he's been in Detroit for like 10 years just, just praying, not getting close. Rory, you follow NFL, which is a bit of a rarity here in Dublin. Uh, were either of those teams your teams? No. Can't even name the teams. That's how little I know. No, no, they're my teams. Right. None of them were my teams. My team is the Saints, who are probably not going to be in a Super Bowl for a long, long time at this point. <laughs> I was I was quietly up for the, the Bengals. I'd like to see a, an underdog get a shot with the young, not rookie anymore, but recent recent rookie quarterback. But alas, they didn't get it. The big part of the Super Bowl I'm always interested in is, of course, the ads. And, and with some pretty good ads this year, notably Coinbase's ad, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, a QR code just bouncing around the screen for 60 seconds, cost them about $14 million. Any particular favorite ads come up for either of you guys? I didn't see most of the ads. I kind of watched a lot of the crypto ones via Twitter afterwards, and I didn't like any of them. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel really let down by Larry David? Yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> I don't know what I expected of him, but I really didn't think he'd, he'd be in a crypto ad. But this is the year we're in. What about you, Anne-Marie? Any good ads uh, stick out to you? This is a very this is a very post-capitalist conversation, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I liked the Amazon Alexa one where she, it was uh, Scarlett Johansson and Colin Jost and they're married in real life. And it, it was like a kind of joke of, oh, if Alexa could read your mind. Because I kind of thought that that was maybe not an angle that you wanted to lean into if you were running a smart speaker. Like, I don't think you want the smart speaker to gain so much awareness that it reads your mind. I think that's unsettling. Yeah. And you at least don't want to advertise the fact that that's the way it's going. Yeah, I can. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on and, and talk about some other stuff then. And I'm starting off this this week's podcast with a sentence that I thought I would never say, which is MoviePass is back. So if anyone doesn't remember MoviePass, it was a movie ticketing subscription service that pretty much imploded, I think is, is the fair word for it back in 2019. But last week, the company's founding CEO, Stacey Spikes, announced that this summer, like a, a terrible sequel, <laughs> the movie pass was coming back. Although few details were given about the nature of this new movie pass, new version of it, Spikes claimed that users originally saw movie pass as a discovery tool rather than a discount service, and also said that he hopes movie pass will be responsible for 30% of ticket sales nationwide by the end of this decade. Anne-Marie, I thought the timing of this story was actually really incredible, considering that just two weeks ago, you wrote a really great long-form piece on pretty much start to finish what happened over at MoviePass. So before we get into the particulars of, of MoviePass Part 2, can you give us a quick quick recap of the madness that was MoviePass? 
Yeah. I think the first thing to know is that the overall theme of the movie past story from the very beginning has always been no thoughts, just vibes. And what I mean by that is that every key player was an ideas man and no one was the logistics man. There was like no Wozniak to rein in Steve Jobs. Like not to say that anyone involved in movie past was a Steve Jobs, but like, it was just no, there was no organization when it came to this company. Too many dreamers. Yeah. And they had so far to fall. But um, basically, MoviePass was founded, as you said, by Stacey Spikes in 2011. And the premise was pretty simple. How do we create a Netflix-like subscription service for going to the movies? And initially, that looked like MoviePass buying tickets on behalf of their subscribers. But then it turned out the way they were doing that was through MovieTickets.com, which was owned by AMC. So that obviously wasn't going to work. AMC was upset. And then from there, they kind of created a MoviePass debit card, which they loaded money onto. And then for a little bit, we, we saw a glimmering light because AMC agreed to partner with them and they did a trial for a year to see if MoviePass would increase traffic in movie theaters. And AMC was really unimpressed at the end of that year and was like, I don't think this is going to do anything for us. So they booted MoviePass out and that should have been the end of the story, right? The largest chain of movie theaters in the world gives you a trial and they don't like it. That should be the end. But no, a a guy named Ted Farnsworth found MoviePass like out on the side of the road in someone's bin. And he was like, this is my company. And he acquired them. And uh, <laughs> one of the main reasons he wanted to is because he wanted to lower the monthly fee, which had been traditionally like 45 or $50 to $10 a month for unlimited movies. Yeah. And a bunch of employees at MoviePass have subsequently said, we don't know how he got to that figure. There was no math involved. It was just a big experiment. I'm not an economist, but I could already see the problem <laughs> with charging yeah. $10 a month for unlimited movies in theaters. Yeah. And so then for the next two years, it was just how much money can we burn through? And how, like, what is the worst bankruptcy one could ever create? And, that, and that's basically what happened. But there was a lot of like deception and lies and, and craziness that went along the way. So it's definitely worth reading the in-depth piece. Yeah, it was really, it was one of those, there's there's a lot of, we, we come across a lot of stories like that. WeWork comes to mind, a couple of other companies, but this is really, this is a home dinger. And, and it, it's always one that sticks out in my mind. But obviously, okay, so back in 2019, the the ship sank, you know, movie pass went bust, the company went bankrupt, they ended up having to pay the FTC uh, something like $400,000 for numerous unlawful unfair practices, that's in direct quotes. And a lot of investors obviously lost an incredible amount of money in this company too. It was one of those few stocks that literally went to zero, literally lost like pretty much 100% of its value. How is a company like this going to be received back in, in the public sphere? I, I doubt there's going to be investors queuing around the door to help bring this company back. Yeah, I don't think investors... Well, we don't know. Like, look at the AMC and the GameStop thing. There could be. There yeah. could be crazy people out there. But I think the question of will consumers like it is kind of interesting because while MoviePass like defrauded investors and towards the end just started blatantly stealing people's money and not giving them tickets to movies, I think people kind of view MoviePass the same way they view like Jordan Belfort, The Wolf of Wall Street, where they were like, yes, that was illegal, but God, what a hell of a ride. Yeah. And so I'm a little bit worried that that could be the branding is just... What's the worst thing that could happen? We had already went bankrupt. So yeah, so that might be the angle. It's gone. The tagline has gone from no thoughts, just vibes. So what's the worst that could happen? Um, but <laughs> yeah. you raise a really interesting point there. Like we've seen in the past 12 plus months, this the, the rise of this new investor, which is kind of kind of like an anarchist investor in some way. You know, they're investing in these companies like AMC, like GameStop, just to kind of stick a middle finger up to, to the suits on Wall Street, whoever they might be. Do you think that this could be eventually another company? This could be the next the next Reddit mania co- stock? Maybe. And that's what's terrible because that guy, Ted Farnsworth, who basically drove the company into the ground, he now owns some company that like 
completely ripped off TikTok. They just recreate a TikTok. It looks identical. And the whole angle on it was, well, at least it's American made. And that is now trading on the stock market. And that entered like a Reddit hype cycle and was bought up like crazy. So you never know. This could be the second life for MoviePass so as an investment. Maybe not the worst idea. But back to, I suppose, more more tangible, I suppose, applications or, or business landscape for this company. When we look at the cinema landscape now, you know, theaters are still trying to recover from the pan- pandemic closures. And um, there's the threat and the kind of tension between the straight to see streaming releases with the likes of Disney, you know, just putting uh, movies straight onto Disney Plus rather than going through the theaters. Do you think that whereas AMC might have kind of, you know, dismissed this idea a few years ago, do you think now that this could be something that they're like, might not be the worst idea? Yeah, that that's actually true because AMC created a subscription service after um, MoviePass went under and it's called the AMC Stubbs A-List, which is a bit of a clunky title, but anyway. And that did work prior to COVID. They had like a million subscribers. It's a bit more expensive. I think it's between like $35 and $40 a month. And that did seem to work because if you're an avid movie fan and you're going to the movies more than three times a month, that's probably worthwhile. I'd say the issue that those subscription services are going to have going forward is less and less movies and projects are actually going to theaters. They're going straight to streaming services. And so it's entirely possible that you could have the subscription and not find three movies during the month that are worth seeing or or, or even available in theaters. And so I think that's going to be the next real test. I also think they need to find some sort of angle for people who only want to go to the movies for spectacle films, because I think both investors and consumers agree that some films are better in theaters. Like think of Christopher Nolan, he works at such a large scale, or movies that are produced using IMAX. Virtually every Marvel film that's going to be produced in the next five years is going to be shot on IMAX. So isn't that worth paying to go and see it in its full scale? But there's only, let me, 8, 10, 12 of those a year? Is that worth paying $35 a month? Probably not. So they need to kind of figure out that angle. But at the same time, during the reopening period, it might set a precedent of people wanting to get out of their houses and go to the movies. And if that push were to happen, we may still see streaming services pushing their films into theaters for an initial release period, in which case that would give people who have a $30 subscription a couple more options to go and see during a month. So that might help them. So we'll see. I know know how to make it work. I've got the... I've got... I know how to make movie passing work, right? Instead... Of charging anything, just give people free movie pass subscriptions, right? And you can go to the cinema as long as you buy a large popcorn. But see, that's that's, that's just the, like marked up like seven hundred percent. But so that's like, what the yeah. cinema chains don't want to happen. That's where they make their money. Well, so, well, I think that was a part of the original kind of tension between movie pass and cinema chains. Well, that was the argument that. MoviePass gave to AMC for why they should allow them into the theater was, hey, if these people aren't paying for tickets, they're going to spend even more on the food and you have a 75% markup on that. Won't you make more money down the line? And they tried it and it didn't come out in the data. Yeah. So. But I'm saying you have to buy a large popcorn. <laughs> oh, it's get, compulsory. You, like, it's compulsory. That's your ticket. Your ticket is the large popcorn. You get and in like, there and the popcorn you, is $30. Yeah, and then you can just like, you don't have to eat it. You can just like throw yeah. it on the ground. <laughs> like, not, like, like most my my fellow cinema goers seem to do whenever I go to the cinema. <laughs> I think you're I think you're outing yourself, Rory, as a bit more of a dreamer and not maybe as much of a thinker. <laughs> I'm interested though if if we think that you know perhaps this new version of Movie Pass could be the the new stock that fuels Reddit. Any other big flops from the past we'd like to bring back, guys? You know, should, is it time to bring Enron back and unleash it on the the Reddit masses? My idea was the same kind of along the movie lines. I would love to see Blockbuster make a comeback. You know, yeah. people really seem enthralled with 90s nostalgia right now. I think some Blockbuster experience stores could really be difference makers in the space. The tagline could be 
do you like streaming movies? It's like that, but you have to get in your car first. <laughs> and then like t- talk about phenomenal pricing power. They would like be charging you five, ten dollars to rent a movie for twenty four hours. Netflix could never pull that off. So I would love to see that. Yeah, I'd buy that. I was at a I was at a gig recently, yeah, things opening back up here in Ireland, and I saw a person with a camera, not even a digital camera, a film, you know, the ones you put the Fuji film yeah. in, taking photos of their friends, and I was like, I can't believe at, at thirty one years old I'm already at that stage of the cycle where things go around but don't forget that you can read Anne-Marie's full piece on the follow movie pass and the lessons that we as investors can learn from it by following the link in the notes for today's show it's a really really good read so I would recommend it Uh, let's move on then to another story and we've already spoken about how cryptocurrencies appeared to be the kind of unspoken theme for this year's Super Bowl but here's some more big crypto news for you last week Binance, which is one of the world's largest cryptocurrency firms, announced that it was taking a $200 million stake in Forbes. This is pretty groundbreaking when you consider that Forbes is one of the most iconic financial publications on Wall Street, a 105-year-old company that is perhaps most famed for its lists and rankings, including that of the world's most powerful people, the world's billionaires, uh, lists like that. Binance, on the other hand, is a crypto exchange that was founded back in 2017 has been at the forefront of the industry's normalization across the globe. The company even launched two of its own cryptocurrencies, but has also attracted a lot of legal and regulatory attention. It was actually banned from the US back in 2019, and I think it's still currently banned in seven states. Uh, I'm not sure which one. So, um, Rory, this is this is a really interesting company. You know, one of these new incumbent cryptocurrency companies buying, you know, what is kind of a, a gold standard Wall Street or, or financial publication in the US. What do you think Binance sees in a, in a to be honest, struggling in, in the current landscape publisher like Forbes? I think you're being pretty kind to Forbes. <laughs> gold standard now, I have to say. Silver standard. Bronze standard. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> I can't, like, I can't speak for the owners of Binance, but this is a trend that has been accelerating over the last few months, which is digital exchanges in particular, spending an awful lot of money in order to promote their sites and potentially kind of exert influence over readers, viewers, even kind of fan bases uh, of much more kind of traditional media businesses and brands. Um, if anyone is interested, the Guardian football podcast, which <laughs> which a lot of people in America probably have never heard of, yeah. it's a soccer podcast over there, um, did a really great special piece a couple of weeks ago on the on the influence that crypto companies have had on English soccer, which I highly recommend, even if you're not a football fan. I thought it was yeah, fantastic very well made. Listen. Yeah, fantastic listen. And, you know, like I said, we started this podcast talking about the Super Bowl adverts and crypto was kind of one of the main themes, certainly sort of the biggest talking point. And those ads heavily featured celebrities like LeBron James and Matt Damon. Um, <laughs> this one's just so bad. Uh, but, but like, you know, none of these ads, or at least none of the ones I saw, seemed to do anything to try and promote any sort of viable use case for cryptocurrencies. It's just a massive FOMO push, this fueling, like, the hype that already surrounds things like Bitcoin, which I think is important to point out. It's not some sort of new technology. Bitcoin's been around for 13 years at this stage. Mm. But of course, the more people buying Bitcoin, the more the prices rise, which increases demand even more. And obviously that's good for those who own a lot of crypto, but it's even better for those who charge fees on buying and selling of that crypto. Then these are the exchanges that are essentially playing a kind of pick and shovel play for this whole experiment. The Forbes acquisition there's a there's a lot going on here. You know, Forbes is still what somewhat respected in the in the what, world. Of what's finance. your problem with Forbes, Rory? 
<laughs> God, I mean, if you've just read some of the stuff that's been you, on, you, was it was it because you you didn't make the thirty under thirty? Is that it? Uh, yeah, I missed the thirty <laughs> under thirty. I've still I've still got the forty under forty day for um, running out of time. But <laughs> we. <laughs> We have seen a number of Western finance brands being acquired, you know, like the likes of Fortune um, and the Financial Times. They're both now owned by Asian business interests. There is this kind of prestige, I suppose, that helps them further their own business goals. Um, Binance has said that they're trying to build a widespread consumer understanding and education of crypto markets and emerging blockchain technologies. Well, as said before, there wasn't that much that advertising of that in the advertising there was much evidence of that, sorry, in the advertising that we saw companies engaged in recently. Um, unless you like consider comparing Biocrypton series to landing on Mars, which I don't. Um, <laughs> so it seems like just a, another kind of way that they're going to be able to kind of talk up crypto, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. And But surely there will, there will be massive concerns over conflicts of interest with this investment. I, I seem to remember a, a couple of years ago, or maybe even a couple of months, that there was a bit of a spat or a bit of tension about something published in Forbes that, that about Binance. Do you think a deal like this might face some degree of regulatory, regulatory scrutiny over you know Binance buying a, a publication that often you know publishes critical uh, information about it? There would be absolutely no regular scrutiny, I can guarantee you. Um, coming back to conflict of interest, yes, I think there is. Uh, despite what all the parties are saying, the CEO of Binance said the Forbes educational in, uh, editorial in independence is sacrosanct. But of course there's conflict of interest. Yeah. Like For years, companies like Binance and others have been saying that the mainstream financial media was essentially all against them. Now the tactic seems to be, you know, if you can't beat them, buy them. <laughs> uh, like you said, it just it was only a few years ago that Binance was suing Forbes for defamation over a report claiming that the company had employed a number of tactics to evade regulatory scrutiny. Um, that lawsuit was very quietly dropped a couple of months later. So, I mean, I wonder how many more reports are going to appear in Forbes when Binance is the major shareholder. My guess is exactly zero. You know, it's another place where this... I'm using massive bunny ears, education can be spread. And I'm talking as someone who's genuinely interested in the possibilities of crypto and blockchain technology and a huge amount of respect for the people who are out there trying to employ it for positive outcomes. But the amount of straight up advertising and misinformation that is being spread is utterly astounding. Like just this morning, Fortune, which is owned by a Thai businessman who has an interest in crypto exchanges, posted a headline that said, Warren Buffett has invested a billion dollars in crypto. Now that is completely and utterly false. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has invested $1 billion in Newbank, which is a non-traditional bank that has some crypto products. It's not the first investment in Newbank they've made. But of course, no one reads past the headline anymore. And these media companies are not held in any way account uh, for, the, for this garbage that they post. Um, Buffett has actually net compared cryptocurrencies to rat poison and his investing partners compared them to venereal diseases. <laughs> so, you know, to put out that headline and knowing that most people aren't going to read the actual thing, I think they've actually gone and they've changed it now. Someone obviously complained a little bit to them. But like the, 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 the article with the new headline has no, you know, nothing that says sorry about that previous headline that was completely misleading and that's the kind of like we're going to just see more and more of that when, when crypto companies are investing in traditional media businesses like Forbes and Fortune yeah absolutely I was watching that video with Charlie Munger earlier he uh, he really hasn't lost any of his eloquence at 98 years of age <laughs> he has not my final question on this part was that obviously Forbes has plans to go public via SPAC um, it's expected sometimes this year I was going to say you know were we eyeing it up as an investment? Did it look like something we'd be interested in? Uh, I think that might have already been answered for me, though, Rory. Am I right? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, this is the, this deal now 
that's being pulled off essentially allows the, ma- major- the majority shareholders of Ford's, which is a Chinese firm called Integrated Whale Media, to pull a large portion of its money out of the company before the SPAC even goes ahead. So, I mean, like they were they were due to kind of get this money in a secondary offering after the company had become public. So, you know, usually when you're the major shareholder of business and you're trying to spin it out into a new entity and attract new investors, you don't typically pull your money out if you have a high degree of confidence in that pitch. Mm. So that should tell you everything you need to know about this Forbes SPAC. Integrated Whale, what a name for a company. (laughs) Henry, I saw your eyebrows raise when you said that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just waiting for the first look to come out where Rory just writes... No. Forbes will join the shortlist when I make the 40 under 40 list. <laughs> Balls in your court, Binance. So let's move on then. For the last few weeks, we've done a quick fire round on some of the companies that have reported earnings recently. Going to do it again. Um, so we have a few more on our list here, and I'm going to ask you guys for really quick TLDRs on these companies. All right, let's come to Zillow first. Zillow were in the firing line not so long ago for essentially scrapping their fledgling eye-buying business and just calling it quits on it how are things looking for zillow now well the, for the big news coming out of their earnings report was just how successfully they were winding down that business segment and um, i suppose that was uh, a lot of fear was in gate was was around the this investment because people were worried they were going to be stuck with all this inventory but actually the revenue from their buying segment rose a thousand percent year over year which sounds great that's exactly the kind of growth yeah. you want to see in a, in a growth company but um, as, I, as i said before they are shutting that segment down <laughs> the company now they said they've got around 80% of that inventory is either sold or agreed to be sold. Um, I think there was kind of some positive feelings from Rich Barton's comments, which said that they see opportunities to meaningfully increase their share of customer transactions. Um, they reckon they've got about 3% of that share today. They're looking to get 6% by 2025. He claimed this is going to be achieved by improving customer experience and funnel while leveraging its tech and product innovation to deliver personalized content like 3D tours with interactive floor plans. They're also looking to develop an acid light seller solution based on their eye buying misstep where the learnings they they have from their iBuying misstep wouldn't be something I'd be rushing to invest in right now until we get a bit more information on it. Yeah, sounds good though. Uh, Anne-Marie, let's go over to Affirm. You took a look at Affirm's earnings and there was a bit of kind of craziness that surrounded it, a leaked earnings report. Uh, Can you fill me in on what happened there? Yeah, basically their earnings report leaked, a portion of it leaked on Twitter a couple hours before the full earnings report was meant to come out. It was basically just the highlights. It was, oh, revenue is up 77% year over year. GMV is up 115%. And that got obviously the market very, very excited. But then when the full earnings report came out, that really sent investors and analysts running for the hills. And it seems to be the difference between revenue increasing and GMV increasing, which is beginning to show a greater and greater disparity between the uh, gross merchandise volume and the amount of revenue that a firm is able to make from that, which tells me and and some other analysts that it means that merchants are pushing a firm for lower and lower fees. And this actually doesn't mean that a firm is lowering their fees. It means that more and more merchants are only interested in the low fee products rather than the higher fee products that were quite popular during the pandemic with people like Peloton who sell very high ticket price items. And so this has really kind of changed the dynamics for a firm because it used to be that they would make over 50% of their revenue from merchant fees. And um, in the latest quarter, it was only 35% of their revenue, which shows that the dynamics of the company are shifting and now they are placing... um, basically a bigger emphasis on interest bearing products which now means that they will be expecting to make more revenue from consumers rather than merchants okay and so that transition is really kind of 
beginning to show through in in their um, metrics. And I think that spooked investors because I think they were a little bit caught off guard. Yeah. They didn't seem to expect it. Yeah. So I would say the next couple quarters are going to look pretty interesting because the thing with interest bearing products is it defers the revenue until it's like paid per month or per quarter. And so it means their revenue will trickle in more slowly and will come in, you know, over the course of... 12, 24, 36 months. So they're definitely in a period of transition. Okay, interesting. Uh, Affirm weren't the only company that had a bit of drama surrounding their earnings report. Uber had trading on its shares halted by the New York Stock Exchange during its earnings report. What happened there? It actually wasn't during their earnings report. It was the following day. So they gave their earnings, all was well. And then the following day, they had their uh, analysts' day presentation, which was being given by their CEO, Dara Kuroshikuk. Valiant effort. (laughs) Valiant effort. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I wrote it down phonetically to try and get it. But anyway, so the day after they gave this big presentation and he gave out a couple of pieces of information. Number one, he projected that Uber will generate $5 billion in profit by 2024, which as we all know, the biggest qualm most people have with Uber is it doesn't generate any profit. Mm. And then he also projected as much as $175 billion in gross bookings by that year. And he even pitched a new type of business where they hope to make $1 billion off of advertising in various forms, So, as we, which is maybe not the best time to be getting into the advertisement game while Facebook gets out of it. But anyway, yeah. um, this is on top of a year that was marked by Uber kind of successfully diversifying their business. The rides business declined, but it was more than made up for an Uber Eats. And they hope to continue this success by pushing themselves into groceries and other kinds of fulfillment and delivery services. They actually just signed big agreements with Apple and Adidas and Sephora to serve as a carrier between stores and people who are ordering locally. So... That's all, I guess, very exciting. I, the market seemed quite tepid on the news. It drives the stocks down 10% in the last week. And that's really because like Uber still has a bunch of problems. Their balance sheet is still pretty ugly. They have $10 billion in debt. They have $13 billion in equity stakes in other companies, a lot of which is in Didi, that Chinese version of Uber that basically has been... Uh, completely destroyed by regulation in China. And then not to mention every vertical that they inhabit has a huge amount of competition. So like it hasn't really changed that much of the contextual outlook for Uber. It's just suddenly they have finally figured out a way to maybe generate a small amount of profit off of a huge amount of business. Five billion off of 175 billion in business. Like (laughs) that's tiny. But anyway. You sound like you're not Uber impressed. Uh, mm. Finally, let's go over to Spotify or Shopify. I always mix those two up. Shopify. Let's go over and have a look at them, Rory. It's stock dropped almost 20% after the report. Were things really that bad? I don't, it wasn't that things were really that bad, but we're in an environment right now where things don't have to be really bad for the stock to react very badly. <laughs> um, the report from the last quarter was pretty solid. The company beat both on revenue and earnings. Like all companies, this earnings season management were pretty cautious when it came to guidance. They noted that growth was going to slow. I mean, I'm struggling to understand who wasn't surprised by this. Pretty much everyone I know who followed the stock knew that growth was going to slow to around kind of 30% PA for the next two years. And it was bound to happen. The company, you know, they had a huge amount of tailwinds during lockdown measures. Those tailwinds are disappearing. Things are normalizing. Um, there was some positive news, like the Shopify platform continues to grow. Now it has over... 10% of US uh, e-commerce retail. They probably didn't discuss in depth the kind of IDFA concerns that a lot of people have been talking about recently. And um, instead they kind of pivoted to partnerships with platforms like uh, TikTok and Spotify as kind of ways to branch out of Facebook as a key marketing solution. But, you know, we've just even seen today now that Google are also bringing in their own kind of version of, of, of Apple's um, privacy me- measures of over the next two years. In other news, they're kind of heavily investing in the fulfillment network. They said they hope to be able to provide two day delivery to 90% of the US uh, by the end of the year. So it was a kind of 
earnings that was you know good for the quarter that came peppered with kind of both positive and negatives going forward and um, still a kind of business i love over the long term though yeah absolutely well don't forget if you want to get quick updates on all the stocks in our shortlist when they report the earnings you can get all of that within my wall street what else is going on in my wall street at the minute we've loads of other great insights live in the app right now including a second look on a firm so usually we do first looks this is us revisiting or Anne marie more specifically revisiting a firm and the buy now pay later landscape we've the latest stock of the month podcast with me and rory we have a deep dive on the dark side of hims and hers and their business model Anne-Marie, i think you wrote that one too and loads of other great insights in there at the minute if you want to check any of this out along with our full shortlist of hand-picked stocks and more great investing analysis just go to mywallstreet.com and create a free account mailbag so this week's mailbag guys we're taking a question that i think a lot of us have at the minute particularly c-limited shareholders which is what has happened to c-limited there was some news came out last week about games been banned in india rory what's going on yeah pretty uh, intense kind of reaction to that story came out on monday i think it was that bloomberg said the free fire which is c-limited's most popular video game was essentially being banned in india it was on a list of apps that were being banned in india as part of a kind of effort by the indian government to remove chinese applications citing security concerns those 54 apps included many popular apps owned by the likes of alibaba netties tencent now funnily enough quite a lot of them had kind of been rebranded uh, after being banned uh, previously so and um, that was pretty sneaky of them it's, it's, it's like when you were young and you didn't get into the nightclub and you went and switched jumpers with your friends <laughs> switch jumpers yeah uh, now, of course, C-Limited is not a Chinese company. Um, it's based in Singapore. Its founder and CEO were born in China, but he's now a Singaporean national. The issue seems to be the companies like Tense, the, the the companies linked to Tencent. Tencent's their largest shareholder. I think it owns about nineteen percent of shares. And the Indian government is kind of taking a kind of tough stance on it and saying, no, we're, we think you're, you're Chinese operated, so they are banning the game now. Obviously, India with the one point four billion people and it's a huge market no company wants to be tossed out of and free fire was incredibly popular in there it was the highest grossing game in india in the third quarter of last year however i mean just on the gaming news i think it, it was a bit of an overreaction you know gaming in india represents a very small percentage of sea limits revenue something around 1.2 percent of their total revenue so to see a kind of 19 percent sell off on that it, it does seem quite uh, over the top but i suppose the it's it's not the actual news but the the kind of follow-on news is that if you know if you if the government is taking that stance with sea limits gaming segments it's unlikely that they would hesitate to expand that stance into its e-commerce segment or its fintech segments um, and india is kind of one of the fastest growing areas for shoppy which is sea limited shopping um uh segment so like you know india huge market but there's a lot of e-commerce players already in there amazon flipkart snap deal so, you know, Shopee is still available in India. I think the fear might be, you know, slightly overblown, but, you know, could be real too. So it's one of those ones that we kind of just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's unusual to hear India banning apps. It's usually either China or America. So uh, it's it, it was uh, definitely uh, a change of pace for uh, in terms of banning apps. Let's move on then and finish out today's show with the elevator pitch. So as we spoke about already, this year's Super Bowl was dominated with ads from cryptocurrency companies. We've been running this podcast for a couple of years now, and I've got the sense that every year there seems to be a big new trend. So it's been Bitcoin before specifically. It's been weed companies. It's been alternative meat companies. It's been cryptos now, in more in general, NFTs. This week's elevator pitch, I want you guys to pitch me the industry or the company that you will think will dominate next year's Super Bowl 
commercial slots. And Maria, I'll come to you first on this. I'm very interested to hear these responses. All right. So I was thinking kind of along the lines of the crypto ads, and I decided to go with just like some old school MLMs, just some multi-level marketing schemes. I'd love to see what they could cook up with the Super Bowl ad. I want to see some LuLaRoe leggings, some vitamin companies, maybe some Tupperware. Yeah. Throw it back. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the 90s. Yeah, that's what I want to see. I want to see a Tupperware Super Bowl ad. So do you think 90s nostalgia will get to the point where we're nostalgic for these uh, these pyramid schemes pretty much? I mean, is that not what we're doing with NFTs right now? Yeah, true, true. <laughs> okay, good one. Rory, what about you? I'd like to see uh, I'd like to see Cash fight back a bit, you know? <laughs> cash, the, the, you know... I've... Boring old fiat. Uh, yeah, I've been long been a, a fan of the war on cash. I think it needs to come come back if all this crypto is getting in the game. Um, as one tweet says, <laughs> uh, you know how I know crypto isn't money because no one's spending $16 million to advertise money in the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like I want, you know, I want, you know, some nostalgic scenes from the strip clubs, maybe Adam Driver in a bathtub covered in dollar bills, you know, the glories <laughs> of cash. Okay, so next year's uh, Super Bowl, keep an eye out for either multi-level marketing schemes or just good old cash. I'm surprised none of you said metaverse. Maybe that was the uh, that was the obvious answer. I want to see Mark that'll Zuckerberg. Be, that'll be over by then. That's not <laughs> next year. Come on. James, this new, the next Super Bowl will be in the metaverse. Come on, yeah. they want to advertise for it. The whole thing will be an advertisement. How silly of me. So guys, that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer, elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter. That's at MyWallStreetHQ. On TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet. Or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. If you want to check out any of the insights or uh, companies we were talking about too, make sure to check out MyWallStreet. Just go to MyWallStreet.com and sign up for free there. If you're enjoying Sock Club, make sure to tell your friends about us and don't forget to leave a review or a rating for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today and we'll talk to you. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.